And my heart's about reconciliation. Our church is, is driven about reconciliation because that's what God says we're supposed to be about. And, um, and my, my hope one day and the dream is that Aboriginal people will teach this country what true reconciliation is. Because um, the country has no idea about reconciliation. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk about it. but Yeah, yeah so yeah. the government's got a policy on it, but they've got no idea. Right. So the point is that God taught us what it is. It's through his son. No other way. Um, so we're about that and we, we, we strive to live it. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. Uh, it's very good to have you along with us and I'm joined as usual by uh, my co-host, Stu Crawshaw. How are you? Hello, Joel. Excellent. And uh, it's always exciting to have you on, Stu, but I'm quite excited to have a special guest on today by the name of Michael Duckett. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's great to have you along. Uh, it's a joy to be here. Yeah, so um, w- the cool thing that we've been talking about lately is um, uh, how we're ministering the 2010s, 2020s. And uh, many of the things that we've talked about have raised some issues that we probably perhaps have spoken about before that we may not have the most authority to, to, to speak about. But um, a lot of the issues that have been raised, um, Michael, I think is something that you're very passionate about and very um, can speak very helpfully about it. But I thought before we uh, get into those kind of things, it'd be awesome to hear about your ministry and what you usually do day to day. Can you let us know about that? Yeah, so I'm a pastor of Aboriginal Church. Yep. Uh, we've got about, I don't know, 20,000 people in our church. No, I was just joking. It's probably about <laughs> 15 to 20 on a good day, you know. Yep. Mm. And, um, and we're a dysfunctional church. People with all different issues come together and we just love each other. We're, so we're a dysfunctional family. We're, some have blood ties, some don't. But we love each other as we're family and uh, that's what makes us special. Where are you guys situated? Uh, so we're... Our church site is about 12 k's out of Campbelltown, at a little place called Wedderburn, so it's in the bush. So south, southwest Sydney, right? Yeah, yeah, so it's about, we're at five acres of beautiful scrub. Really? Full <laughs> of gum scrub. trees and <laughs> yeah. um, squiggly gums, and it's just a glorious, I call it God's church, because he made it. Yeah. It was his gums, yep. he made all those all the native scrub, and uh, we get to enjoy it, and, and, and meet in there, and and it's funny enough that when you're in country, in the bush, uh, God speaks to people's hearts through his creation mm. of just about reminding them of his power and might. And I can't do that. I, I can try to lead people uh, through the word and he speaks through his word, but he does also still speak through creation mm. to remind people of his might. And, and my people relate to that. Yeah, right. They, they value that and, and, and reconnect there. Yeah. You spoke about it being dysfunctional. What, what does that look like? Oh, why, why do you say that? I say that because our, our community is so broken with um, so much a history of, you know, of a past of treat, poor treatment. So a lot of our families struggle to know what family is. Right. A lot of our people have been through, you know, children's homes, stolen generation. So our community is just struggling to understand what family is because it's been taken away. So when I say dysfunction, it's just we're just trying to find our feet again as a people to know what it is to be loved, to know what it is to be raised up. It's not a common thing, in a, you know, because we've got a hard family, you know, yeah. and they're just making do. Resilient. So when I say dysfunction, it's just we didn't grow up with a lot of them, with what people have today, with the, you know. So we're trying to find our way again. And how do you, how do you find that um, people respond to Jesus in your 
Oh, look, some people are, are, are very angry at God because a lot, a lot of homes are driven by Christian organisations back in the day, so they didn't think of God as a, a very uh, mean God, you know. There was no love in the homes. I can tell you that many people have been abused in those homes under God's name, uh, and it's horrific. Right. But when you hear the word God, they just go red. They're angry because what's been done to them in the past in the name of God. So I just have to keep reminding my people that, that God doesn't do those things as people do those things. They might have done it under the banner of some religious group, but never blame God for those things. That's people, wicked people doing wicked things. And so that's a hard thing to get on board with mm. because all they remember is being forced to, to get on their knees and pray, being forced. They can't eat till they pray. They can't do anything before they acknowledge God in, in formality. Um, so... When you start talking about a God who loves them, it's foreign. Yeah, diffi- that would be difficult to understand. We just got to yeah. be God's hands in how we love people. Yeah. Without, and it does. It happens. I've seen God change people's lives. I've seen God soften people's hearts because they realise they have an encounter with a living God, as opposed to what's been shoved down their throat historically. Mm. You know, since colonisation, where a lot of people are forced to put shoes on and wear clothes and and bow to God, you know? Yep. And, um, you've had an encounter with God. Um, you've become a Christian. Can you tell us about how you did become a Christian? Yeah, old young fellow, probably, I don't know, 17, 18, something like that. And um, I went to Ucoop sometimes uh, down at Thoreau. Oh, yeah. Down on, that's the uh, South Coast. Church. That's the yeah. South Coast yeah. of New South Wales, yeah. What on Bullock Pass. Yep. And, um, and I had a, a youth worker there. He's a real dorky fella, <laughs> old bloke. And we stole his car and trashed his house and that. Oh, right. We were young fellas. But he kept coming back. I didn't understand that. Uh, but all what I learnt was he loved us. He put up with us, being real disrespectful. Um, I still know that fella today. So he demonstrated to me the love of God, but I didn't realise it. And then I had a fella preaching. My mum took me to a church in Wollongong, a big cinema. And um, <laughs> she offered to buy me dinner, so I went along, you know feed and this preacher was preaching in this big cinema and he, he said that Jesus was spat upon and beaten and, and it didn't make sense to me the son of God gets spat upon and beaten because um, I thought the son of God was big muscles you know big fella yep. he'd bust anybody you know yeah. by looking at him <laughs> and um, so I, I didn't make sense to me but when I heard that the son of God loved me that much he was spat upon and um, when I was in high school, I got spat upon from a fellow up on balcony. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who it was, but it ran down my shirt and I was that angry and humiliated. Oh, I would have killed somebody. And then when I heard that God did that for me, you know, he, he got spat on. I said, that's it. He's got my life. And I never looked back since. I said, if God can do that for me, I felt I knew what it was like to be humiliated. And I thought, well... I'll serve him for the rest of my life. And I've never turned back since mm. because I had that, under, uh, that little bit of a understanding of the humiliation that he went through for me. I thought, if the God, son of God can do that for me, mate, I mean... Yeah. What, did cha- what changed for you after that? I started, stopped swearing around as much and, and carrying on silly and I didn't, get drink, I didn't drink much after that. Um... I thought it wasn't good, you know. Trying to be Christian, you know, with all the non-Christian followers and that. And um, so it took me a while. I'm still trying to get my feet on it. 
trying to live a godly life, you know. Yeah. And um, but he changed my mentality, everything, my attitude to women, you know, changed. I learned to be more respectful of women and that. Before I had very little respect, respect my mum because she'd hit me. But um, <laughs> everybody else, I just, you know, I just was a wild little man, you know, a little angry little fella. Mm. And um, I was going through foster care as a little fella. That that has an impact on a life. Yeah. You've got to work through all that identity and all this sort of stuff. So it's deep, deep-seated stuff. Yeah. And when God steps in, he starts cleaning out the cupboard, you know? Yeah. And starts healing and, and um, filling in the gaps in your life and your holes. So it's, it's great. Yeah. Whilst he, he hones you and, and disciplines you. So it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's true. We're like, we're all, like God's always shaping us and molding yeah. us all the time, right? Um, I was also wondering, um, how did you get, how did you and Stu get connected? Oh, Stu, do you want to share... Yeah, when, well, you um, go first, Mike. Could you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think the first time I met you, Michael, was at a regional conference. We both are right. uh, Anglican ministers in the Anglican Church, and Michael came along uh, to the same conference I was a part of because we're both in the same region of yeah. our Anglican dom- denomination in Sydney. It's called the Wollongong region, and we were both part of that. And um, I think the first time we ever sat down was at a conference and we sat down at the table and just had a yarn and yeah. a cup of coffee and got to know each other or a cup of tea and just got to know each other that way. And over the years, we've done a few things together. And um, yeah, over the last few years, we've seemed to be getting together a bit more often and doing yeah. a few more things. So yeah, um, so both being uh, ministers of churches, like uh, we've got some good stuff to talk about. We talk about how we're looking after people and and we're also doing some things together like last year we did some um, fun stuff together out out uh, your way we, some of the crew from our church went out and we all had a really lovely couple of days of fellowship and um, we did some work together on the barn out there on the shed yeah. and that was fun to get, do together and so yeah we've done a bit together hey it's and one good. of the benefits of you know they brought about 40 people out out to our place to help build with well renovate an old barn I suppose you could call it it was all about Falling over, you know, real yep. bad. It was not very safe. Yep. But the thing, it looks beautiful now. But the point that really mattered was some of my mob was sitting there and they couldn't understand why 40 non-Aboriginal people come all the way to us to, to serve us and work with us. And my old uncle said to me, I've never in my life thought I'd see a white man serving a black man. Right. So, yeah, it might have been a few days day to work with them. But that had an impact on my people they'll never forget. They've never seen that before in their life. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's what I call ministry, I guess. We, haven't not, we don't care what people say because words are cheap sometimes. But we look at people's actions as Aboriginal people. We look at how they walk, how they talk, um, how they treat you. And, and them coming out our way to help us fix this barn, we didn't have the means or the skills to do that. And they blessed us. And my people are going, wow, I've never seen that in my life. So that changes the whole worldview of a person. Yeah. And why? Because God intervened and, and brought us together for his glory and for the furtherance of his kingdom. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. It's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, and it was really a fun good. day too, eh? Because Michael had this vision. Instead of just putting up posts, we cut some trees down and used them as posts. So that was heaps of fun. That was yeah, my yeah. favourite bit. So here we were digging these big holes and like getting these big gum trees, weren't we? Like yeah. these big trunks. And and there was like one of my favourite parts of the day was, um, and I think D 
Dave, our producer, was there too, I think. We're all, there was like 15 of us all under it with our shoulder underneath this big log together, wasn't it? And we had this really, really long log and we're all, you know, picked it up together and we're all walking together and then we all put it in the ground together and we hoisted it up in the air and it was something we did actually literally together. Like everyone needed to put their hand on that log together yeah. and we're all put it in the ground and then we put the fast set concrete together and we're all doing that and... And then we all stood back together and looked at it and went, "Wow, that was that was a that was big effort to put put yeah. that in the hole." So I, that was my favourite part of the day. Actually, It was really cool. I thought they were crazy, but anyway, <laughs> I was thinking I'll just tie a rope around and drag it with a ute. But no, they said, "No, we'll carry it." And I said, well, "Go for it, mate." It was fun, wasn't it? Well, yeah. they picked it up, and I'm sitting there going, "Wow, <laughs> never seen that in my life." Yeah, right. What do you use the shed for now? Oh, we we sit under there when we have big mobs coming together. Yeah, nice. So it's just a big open space. So the idea is that we have. If it's Depending on the weather, we need more space. We have like more than 20 people. We can go sit under there and be all covered. Yeah. Um, I'll be doing painting under there with my old aunties. So make it available for, we do workshops of painting, right. teaching our next generation how to paint, um, craft, boomerang making. I teach young boys how to make boomerangs and that. Mm. So you sit down under the, the tomahawk and just start hacking away. And, and you're in the bush, you're feeling the dirt under your feet and you, all you see is gum trees around you and it's just earthy. And it brings back, um, well, the old people, many are born under those sheds. So when they come there and see those sheds, it just warms their heart. They see, they go, oh, you know what, boy, I was born under one of these. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's all rustic and rusty and uh, and they just, and I was going to put some bit of, um, I don't know, asphalt or something on the ground to make more sturdy. It's all dirt and sand. And my auntie said, don't be stupid, boy. I want to feel it in my toes when I sit there. All right, no worries, aren't I? I'll leave it. We're always thinking of putting a nice, pretty, you know, bit of <laughs> gravel or something so yeah. it's nice and firm when it's all rainy, it's all yeah. muddy. No, I'll leave it the way it is. So I always have to be uh, listen to my old people. Mm. So now it's still, still sandy and dirty mm. and um, you can feel the dirt in your toes. You mentioned painting before um, and uh, you were just telling us before we um, started recording that you, you like to actually process a lot of your sermons and thinking of the Bible around painting. Yes. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, yeah, so when I became a Christian, I never painted, never yeah. bothered painting. I never played a guitar. But when I became a Christian, I picked up the guitar and I've been playing ever since. <laughs> okay. And the Lord gave me a gift to play, you know. And um, I started painting since, and that was my first painting behind me. Yeah, do you want to, do, do you want to describe this painting yeah, that so you've brought in for when us? When I was a young Christian, I, I was trying to understand how, how does God expect us to get along? black and white, you know, like, because it's always a dominance of culture over our people. And I was trying to understand how God wants us to work that out. And um, and God keeps things simple. That's what I like about it, you know. God, he, it's not rocket science. Yeah. And, it's, and he tells us time and time again through the blood of his son will be reconciled one to another, you know. So I just painted that that um, black and white can be united uh, through the blood of Jesus. Without it, we'll never be reconciled, truly. Um uh, so for me it was a, a no-brainer, but I wanted to paint it and uh, for me to see, but also when my people come around they can see that too, that, oh, it's through that blood. And blood has a lot of significance to Aboriginal people, so we get that. We, we love the Old Testament, we love the, the storylines of all the old people, we love the storylines of Jesus because it resonates with us. It's part of our heritage. So we, we love the Old Testament and when we see the blood of Jesus... Uh, we relate to that. We understand that. That it's crucial. Mm. You can't just hold hands and, and sing songs together. It's got to be the blood of Jesus that, mm. that cleanses us so that we can be united 
as one. So it's not, and that's all it is. Uh, we are visual people, so we we paint in our caves, we mark the trees, mark rocks, all our people to understand the signposts and understand parts of our culture. Mm-hmm. So God, God's about culture, and He just wants to convey His message through our culture, as as the Western Church does through their, you know, stuff they do on their buildings. Podcasts and stuff. Yeah, like yeah everything. It's, <laughs> it's just different means to convey the message and the love of God. Yeah, and we just do it in art, you know. And, and this painting behind that we've hung up behind you—that's the first painting you ever did. Yeah, as a young Christian, not a bad job, was, man. That was my effort to try and understand, yeah, the world. And I wasn't remind myself about that. Yeah, it's not complex. Do you mind if I describe it for people that are just listening? Yeah, go so for you've it. got. Um, a black hand and a white hand, yep. and then above that is the the cross, and there's blood coming down from the cross, uh, almost coming across those two hands. And is that to signify that like the only way that we can see is is, is that in terms of a reconciliation act yes, of Jesus? Yes. Yeah, right. Well, my heart's about reconciliation. Our church is is driven about reconciliation because that's what God says we're supposed to be about. And um, and my my hope one day and the dream is that. Aboriginal people will teach this country what true reconciliation is. Because um, the country has no idea about reconciliation. There's, the a lot of, there's a lot of talk about it. but Yeah, yeah so yeah. the government's got a policy on it, but they've got no idea. Right. So the point is that God taught us what it is. It's through his son. No other way. Um, so we're about that, and we, we strive to live it. That's the difference. But, you know, Aboriginal people are, what, 3% of the population of this country, and we continue to experience a lot of poor things from this country and the way we get treated. Um, but the Christian people in our, in our community are still trying to bring reconciliation to this country, you know, through acceptance, forgiveness, uh, loving and embracing. And it's it hard to expect, but God expects it. <laughs> so we do it. Does mm. that make sense? That yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, that's the same thing that... Um, uh, our friend Ike or Isaac mm. who is out in Bawarana he said the same thing right Stu yeah I think what's really cool about your painting Michael is the black and white hand um, prints on the painting and we were talking last week about Isaac has a, a similar thing with a black and white handshake that the yeah. two mm. come together in, and he says the same thing as yourself that it's through the blood of Jesus that we can be forgiven and we can um, be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other and he uh, says this, the same sort of thing that you're saying there in that, that we need to express that reconciliation better. And I think what's great about having you on today is to understand, I think, um, the wrong that has been done and is being done more so that we can understand that and as a country and then also work out how do we go forward together. I think that's a, a really cool thing. Before the podcast, Michael, you are saying it's really important that, that as uh, black and white Australians as Australians from all different countries that we walk together side by side yes. as we go forward I think that is brought out in your painting as well that the black and white hand on your painting is side by side and yes. Jesus on the cross is above us and he's our authority and he's but he serves us as authority and yes, he yes. loves us and he cares for us rather than dominates and controls yes. and all those he sort of changes power doesn't he he, he uses power to help and to serve and to yes, love yes. and to care which is really lovely yeah yeah, do do you want to do do you want to um, reflect for us more a bit more about some of the the, the pain from the past? Um, would you share some some of those oh, uh, some of that? Maybe I mean it's been a, a two hundred years of uh, 
it's hard to summarise 200 years of history. Yes. But w- what do you think is important for us to, to listen to today on that? Uh, well, you can, re- you can view many places about the history of Aboriginal people and that. And, you know, we've got the, um, since colonisation, got the stolen land, um, then you've got the stolen children, then you've got the stolen wages that's affected a lot of our workers back in the day, you know. They've got no money. Then you've got the stolen water from our rivers because they take the water and we've got no water left in our rivers and, and, and that wrecks the whole system, the environmental system. So it's crazy that if there's anything worth stealing, it'll get taken uh, from Aboriginal people and from the land. And when I talk about Aboriginal people, I'm talking about the land as well so that everything just gets stripped because there's money in it. So that, and the motivation for Aboriginal people being moved around was always about money. You know, when they lived on certain land and it was really valuable, they'd move the Aboriginal people to a different land and then they'd move them again. Whenever they want land, they just move our people. And you go to La Perouse and you can see them sitting over there looking over the bay there. It's like a little mission there, beautiful little place. But that was the second place. They were, they were further over here before originally and they wanted that, so they moved them over to there. And now they're sitting on some of the richest place, um, you know, and the dogs love it there. No, <laughs> it's just a beautiful place. Mm. But the reality yeah. is that I'm sure they would have loved to move them again, but they left them there, and now it's there. Mm. But the point is that whenever there's something worthwhile, Aboriginal people always moved on. And, and today you'll see um, sacred sites being ripped up still today, and the mines I'll get approved to go in there and rape it. Why? Because there's money in there. Yep. Oh, we're, we're, we're sensitive to Aboriginal people, we're sensitive to your culture, but there's actually money there, so we'll just move you along or, or we'll just approve the mining, but we'll give, we'll give you some money too and, and try and buy them off, if that makes sense. They don't have any respect for our, our sites, um, our places, and um, it's just sad. So 200 years, 1816 was the first massacre out my way in uh, Appen, first... Um, recorded legal murdering of Aboriginal people, you know, it was authorised by the governor. Now it's over 200 years and the, and the heads that were cut off that day in 1816, they're still in a box today. So they've been repatriated back to this country where they're in Sydney, but they still haven't been laid to rest. So for me, that doesn't show much progress because that was your grandparents' skulls sitting in a shell. In a box, you'd be livid, you'd be... Yeah, my people are expected just to accept that, that, oh, well, all these remains, they're right, they're in a box, they're okay. But there's no respect in that. We have a high regard in laying to rest the bones of the old people to show respect. So that's just a snapshot of progress. 20 years later and those bones, those skulls are still sitting in a box today. So for me, it's not a lot of progress until they get laid to rest out of respect, you know? I know it's only a minor thing, but it goes back from... 1816, the skulls of men and women cut off, taken over to England to be assessed and measured to see why our skulls are different, our eye sockets are deeper, they want to understand all that sort of stuff. You think we'd have grown up after 200 years and thought, let's just give it back and lay it to rest. So that's just a snapshot of if we pro- with this progress, there's a lot more Aboriginal programs, our kids have the best opportunities at universities now. So that is progress. There's none of that when I was a little follower and back in the day the ones older than me had nothing. 
now we've got Aboriginal pathways and programs and, and assistance in schools to get our kids through school. It's great. But um, we've still got a long way to go. What, do, what is, um, you're talking a lot about progress there. What, is, what would progress look like for you, do you think? Because like you mentioned the program stuff, but you, I feel like there's still some things that you think that could be, could be changing yeah, for the better. For me, the progress is in the mind. So you can have programs and policies and procedures, and I've seen many of them. I've been part of many of them, and they, and they do all these yeah, beautiful policies and that. But uh, unless it's lived by people and owned by people, it's just a bit of paper and, and a policy. And I've seen organisations, Anglicare's got a great rap, other organisations got wraps. I like a wrap too, like chicken and all in there, <laughs> salad and that. But um, a wrap is a great, great initiative, I guess. But um, if it's not owned by the people, and it's not lived, well then it's, it's, to me it's useless. So what I'm saying is, it's not about the policies, procedures, it's not about the goals that people have, it's, it's about owning up to and just living it. Mm. Acknowledging it, acknowledging the past. We don't want people to be saying sorry to us all the time. We don't want people to be trying to lift us out of the mud and think, oh, we'll save you. We don't want that. What we do like is just people to have a respect and willingness to walk with you. We don't mm. want people dragging us. We don't want people pushing us. Mm. So, yeah, we'll walk with you, bro. That shows unity and, and, and respect. And we walk at your pace. We'll walk how you want to walk. If you want to drag the train and just dawdle, we'll walk with you and dawdle. If you want, want to run fast, we'll run fast. The key to ministry is to, to connect with a person and be a part of their story and their storylines, their journey. That's, that's, that's what I believe ministry is. You don't come in with your game plan and say, oh, well, you need to catch up, bro. We're up to stage six and you're still in stage two. Come on, catch up. No. You walk at their stage, at their level, and just keep walking with them as God, as God ordains. That's the key. In God's timing, in his way, uh, led by him, led by his spirit. And sometimes you get frustrated. Walking with people, and go, I just want to drag this far along. <laughs> no, no, just walk. It's his, it's his journey. It's his pace. And, um, and that's where the worst world differs to our culture. We'll never d- dominate or force somebody because... It just never works. They'll, they'll run off. They'll back off. Where if you walk in there, at their pace, love them. And sometimes you've got to come back several times to love them, you know? Yeah. That's all right. God gives us the grace to do it. But that's it's, it's a personal connection. It's a heart change. Uh, and that's what progress is, a heart change. Black Lives Matter, very public. I've seen a lot of different things about it. But it all comes back to the heart. It comes back to the mind. It comes back to how you talk about black lives in your families, talk about how you tell your children about black people. How do you treat them? What do you think about them? It's having a, those general conversations in your own backyard, in your own home. That's what changes things. It's not about putting a post up or putting a, a podcast up. It's about or a social media post or it's something. It's just like about that. how you, in your heart, treat mm. black people. How you mm-hmm. tell, how, how you talk about black people in your home and to your children, and you cross the road when you see an old black fella drunk on the road. I don't go now and walk around him. You know, my boy runs up to him. <laughs> when there's an old lady drunk on the street, he'll go up and, you right, you right? He'll get down on his hands and knees and look under there, you, you, you right? He's only five. And I'm humbled mm. that my son even cares about this stranger he doesn't even know. It's 
brought on the on the in the park, drunk as a skunk, and he walks up and taps on the head, and I'm thinking, what are you doing, boy? And she looks up and goes, oh, hello, baby. Mm. All one knows is that she's all right. And, and I was very humbled to see my little boy even care about someone else he doesn't even know, laying in the middle of the park in the public area, worried, you know? Mm. I said, that's good. Most of us would walk away from him. We'd go, nah, nah, these black people are rowdy, they're yelling and swearing. I'm crossing the street. And some of them are, don't get me wrong. But it's the best sights I've been is, is sitting with the drunks saying, I love you. I don't preach to them, I don't go tell them anything. I sit there and go, look, I just want to sit with them. And when my son was born, I took him down to the drunks and introduced him to all the drunks in the park. <laughs> right. Hey, what are you doing, boy? I said, I want my son to meet you. You falls are precious to me uh, and you're as worthy as any other person to meet my son. Here's my son, Machi. Hey, boy. And, and I just want to show him that they're worthy to meet my son as anybody else as an introduction, you know? Yeah. And I said, you see my son drinking in the park? You flog him and send him home. <laughs> but, but the point is this. Uh, society says a lot of different things about Aboriginal people and especially the smelly ones and the ones that they don't want to be near. Well, God says to me, they're the ones I should be with. Mm. The ones that I should be saying, we love you and we feed them as much as we can. Um, this is what we want to do. Because mm. society, even our organisations, hardly touch them. Because they're hard. They're hard to work with, they're unreliable, they're, they're irritating sometimes, they're swearing or they're noisy. They'll, um, they'll, they'll love you and stab you in one heartbeat. <laughs> like you don't know what you're going to get after time. Yeah, right. But God just says, they're my, I love them too. Mm. Oh yes, that's, that's a hard thing, it's, mm. a, it's a practical expression of love. And, and that's what we try to do as a church, you know. People have a need, we don't have much, but we'll do what we can for them, you know. Stuart, mm. you... Mm. Um, Michael's touched on a lot of different topics there which has been a pleasure to just sit and listen to you man so thank you um, I'm just wondering what your what your reaction and thoughts are to what Michael's talking yeah, about Yeah I think Michael it's really really uh, cool that you brought up again today that you've shared with me in the past about recognising the past and Michael and I are on a committee with the Anglican Church that e yeah. explores reconciliation don't we brother yeah. and we're kind of thinking through together what does it look like for the Sydney Anglican Church to express that reconciliation that Christ has won for us. And I think I love, Michael, that you talk about a change of heart because the beautiful thing is that Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you mm. alone. And I send the Holy Spirit, the counsellor, to be with you. And and so the, the really beautiful thing about being uh, changed by Jesus, it's a dramatic image, but being washed in the blood of Jesus is yes. that our sin is taken away and that we're changed on the inside and he gives us a new heart and he yeah. gives us a new, a new spirit. And, you know, the Holy Spirit changes our heart and helps us to see people like Jesus sees people. And so as you're talking about taking your boy down to the park to meet the people, that, that was a beautiful picture in my mind. I could just see it like you going down to the park with your son and it's honouring people and it's respecting them and loving them. And, um, you know, the stories of Jesus, how, you know, in his day, there were, there were groups of people that were considered to be, uh, oh, you don't hang out with those people, yeah. you don't be with them. But Jesus went to be with them. And I think as we talk together on that Committee on Reconciliation, we're talking about what does it look like to recognise the past and then have a change of heart and, yeah. and then uh, be together. And I think um, I've been thinking a lot, brother, about recognising the past. And, Michael, you've encouraged me to think about the area we live in like you, one of the things that's really been profound that you've shared with me that I've really taken to heart and try, tried to think through is 
to think about what has been the impact of colonisation on Aboriginal people in particular areas where our churches are. And if, if a local church is actually going to say, you know, there's a local church here in uh, Durrawal country here in Sutherland Shire, uh, and the Durrawal people were here, well, where, what's happened to the Durrawal people? What was their lived experience? Where yeah. are they now? And so at Michael's encouragement, I've talked to some of the aunties in the Sutherland Shire and asked them, uh, what's happened to the Durrawal people in Sutherland Shire? And they've told me that exactly what you said about how people wanted to make money in this area and start farms and the Aboriginal people were here. Originally, uh, Sutherland Shire was on the outskirts of Sydney and so a lot of people wanted to, to, ha to have farms and so the Aboriginal people were here and they were moved. And so they moved them to the Blue Mountains. And she said that the Durrawal people from the Sutherland Shire used to live in Grace Point where I live today. And down below my house in the river, down below my house, the, there would have been the sound of Aboriginal children playing in the water yeah. and swimming and um, just below my house, uh, at, the, at the street below my street there's a scar tree um, and it's a very visceral reminder of what you're talking about yeah. because the council uh, have been great they've said don't knock that tree down because when they wanted to build two houses they had to build them further apart than normal so that the tree could still be there but the scar tree is still there and I show my sons that scar tree and uh, quite regularly we go and say that that's that's a, a scar tree and a scar tree is where the people who lived here um, built a canoe and so they came up to the tree and they cut a canoe out of the bark of the tree and they pulled the bark off and that canoe would have been floated down in the river below my house yeah. and it's quite painful to to recognize that and to think of the pain that would have been caused to those people to be moved out of Grace Point into the Blue Mountains which is so far away from here for people who aren't from Sydney that's about even now it's still an hour and a half drive away from here so to be taken from your river and your place where you're people had been for thousands of years and then you know there's middens down on the river where people would sit and eat seafood and and yeah. shellfish and leave the shells and that's called a midden and there's a fish trap in that river where the aboriginal people made a made a line of rocks so that the fish could come in and yeah. and spawn and then they'd be able to farm the fish in that fish trap yep. and that's still there but the people aren't and so to recognise that, I suppose, um, Michael, my question is, like, as we recognise that as local churches, is there a place for us to be telling those stories in church or do you think of um, other things that we, we could be doing with that regard to recognise some of the things that even go back that far? I mean, just just quickly again, before before you answer, the um, one of my friends, I, I remember in the 1990s going around to one of my friend's houses and his dad had a photo of a, an Aboriginal man in 1905 dressed in traditional Aboriginal clothes on a natural stone bridge that goes over a creek. Oh, yeah. And that natural stone bridge is literally two minutes away from here. You drive past it on a street called Northwest Arm Road to Grace Point. Yeah. And I drive past that bridge every day. And it reminds me every day that um, that the Durrawal people aren't here anymore. We're on Durrawal land because yeah. he, he was a traditional Durrawal man with a spear and dressed in Aboriginal clothes in 1905, standing on that stone bridge. And, and then he was moved because yes. people wanted to make money out of the land that he was on. And, yeah, I, I suppose telling that story is, is important in and of itself. But, uh, yeah, have you got any thoughts about how, as local churches, Christians could be doing more to recognise that? Maybe researching, people researching stories in their areas and telling those stories in churches, maybe? Uh, the, the knowledge, or I guess, respect of the past, it's always, it's crucial. You know where you come from mm. before you can go forward. Yeah, in that's a good. Sense. So, like... And um, like with churches, especially when they first settled in this country, they they got 
the best bits of land, you know, often the highest points of the hills and the valley, you know, so that... Yeah. And um, I, I do think it's good for our churches to have a, a knowledge of the of the land they're sitting on. I think it's just out of respect, you know, mm. to check to know where the pipes are. I know, you know, they always <laughs> say, ring before you dig. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, yeah. they can still find out about Aboriginal people's past, mm. there, you know, not just for pipes, but also for the heritage of the land. And, and that's, that's just good sense. It's just to know, well, we're sitting on this land... Um, where the custodians once walked this land, now we're custodians of this land. I don't know if they realise that, that, that the churches who now sit on the land that our people were custodians on, they become custodians. I don't know if they realise that. Not because they, they earn it, not because, but because God appointed them to be custodians of that land on top of where the Aboriginal people were too, you know. So it's just a, a recognition um, to show respect and then take seriously the custodianship that the that they now have. We talk about the spreading of the gospel as a key focus of the church, and that is. But in doing that, comes in the custodianship of how you treat the land, because the church must demonstrate good custodianship, because God said that from the beginning, that we were supposed to be good stewards of the land, caring for the livestock and the animals. It wasn't a... It hasn't stopped that, that mandate of God. It's not like, oh, let's forget that. Let's just build buildings and highways. The responsibility is still there for man to be good stewardships of God's creation. It has never stopped. Um, so one thing the church can do today is be, be good custodians mm. of the land, not just of their little bit of... <laughs> not of their little block, but of their community. Because when I look at custodianship, our pe- people view it as a a holistic custodianship of our community, of our children, of our women, of the drunks, of the hopeless and the lonely and the, and the, and the widows and the prisoners. and the, That's all our community. And the church has a responsibility to be good stewards over them. Yes, over the land, over the people. Um, and sadly, churches have lost that idea, I think. They've, they've just focused on their church, on their little clique, and their world is that big, and, and they've forgotten about the community. They think, I oh, let, let the welfare look after them fathers. But we were the ones who looked after the welfare of the people. God gave us that mandate. We can't just leave it to Centrelink to deal with them because uh, they don't do a good job either. Mm-hmm. So people's hearts are hurting and, and people are lost. And therefore the church says, well, we need to step in there and step up and start being good custodians of our community. I know it's a bit heavy duty, but that's how I see the, the scriptures. Mm, that I, we th- have a I think it's good too because then, uh, like, as as we're res- respecting the past and understanding it, it's also the present too, isn't it? Because yeah. um, there there uh, th- there is whole communities that were moved out of the Sutherland Shire from the yeah. Durrawal people who were moved out of here, but there are still Durrawal people here too. And how can we be friends with each other and make links with each other and um, care together for this community? And I, I think that's a really beautiful vision of um, reconciliation being expressed as well. But um, can I ask you another question too? Like with regard to the stolen generation, I think some of our viewers and listeners might not realise that it's actually quite a recent thing. So some of the things that happened, you know, we could talk, look back to the early 1900s and say that was a long time ago, but massacres were still taking place in the mid to 19, yeah. 1900s as well. And, and also the stolen generation kind of didn't finish until the early 1980s. So that's yeah. actually within our lifetime. Like I yeah. was... Um, yeah, I was born in 1968, so 
this is still something that impacts people in their lived experience today too. Do, could you share a bit with us a bit more about what you think has been the impact of the stolen generation and, and yeah, well, any, any d- more detail about that? When you thousands of children taken from their homes and um, I think it's fair to say that pretty much every Aboriginal community, every Aboriginal family ha- has been impacted by the stolen generation in some way or another, you know, either mm. directly or indirectly. So what you're saying is the Aboriginal population of this country in some way or other has had a, a, a knife in them about the loss of their families, which is grief and loss, and it's transgenerational trauma. So then you wonder, well, well how come Aboriginal people make up 40% of the prison population? We're only 3% of the population. Think, well, yeah. How does that work? Because our community is so broken... It's not because of what we've done, it's just because of the, the fruits of our past. I don't blame it, it's just the way it is. Um, the community is really hurting and, and hard to trust people and that. And so when I talk about churches having an a, a acknowledgement of our people, it's just a healthy respect and appreciation and a, and a, and a concern. You'll be praying for the Aboriginal people of their region because they're, it's very hard in our communities. And, and in their churches to have some way where when a person, Aboriginal person, walks through their door, most people won't go to a church of our people because it's, often it's negative. Often society has issues with our people and we won't fit in churches because that's just the way they do things. We walk in there and it's sort of odd and, and churches are funny churches, you know. Like they can be clicky, they can be all different things and, and for an Aboriginal person who already has issues of... Um, community issues and, and trying to connect with groups. A church is a scary thing. It's like a little club. They run their own things, they do their own, they have their own raffles. I don't know what they do. When they, but they, they <laughs> yeah, run we, their could, own, we could have a meat they, raffle. They run their own stuff and for, for an outsider to walk in, it's very daunting. Mm. Mm. That's a good point. Alone for an Aboriginal person. Yeah, it's a really they good point. They walk in there, yeah. see all these faces, look at them and go, whoa. Mm. Uh, and see what happens is we're trained in our churches to go and meet people and ask their questions. Well, that's quite intimidating for Aboriginal people. They're going, whoa, is this fellow that doesn't know me? He doesn't know my dog's name. He's asking me all these personal things. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's going point. on here? Well, it's a totally different cultural mindset. Yeah. Our culture is to sit and listen, to watch, before we even move. We just sit down and go, hmm. Because it's our way. We, we want to observe and see before we actually engage and meet. Where Western mindsets jump on you straight away and start going through your pockets and seeing... <laughs> <laughs> what your job is and how much money you earn and, yeah. and they just want to know everything about you. It's like, bro, you don't even know me. But that's their mindset. We're an Aboriginal person, we're another Aboriginal person. We don't never ask them what their job is. We never ask mm. them anything. We just say, bro, who's your people? Where's your people come from? What's your mob? That's what we ask them. But then we have our traditional ties to our people around our tribal links. And um, that's, that's our cultural protocol. And um, it's, not, it's not threatening, it's not um, daunting. Yeah, bro, this is my people here. I'm a Dungadi fellow from the North Coast. That's my tribe. And, and when other fellows are from around there, I have an instant connection with them. Mm-hmm. And from Laparoo's right down to Eden, I've got blood ties right through there. So I can connect with all these different people through our tribal ties. And all of a sudden we have a connection. And um, I don't even talk about God. Because I always believe you've got to know a person before you share the greatest person you know. And that's the Lord. They're not going to listen. Unless you know them and have a relationship, a partnership, a, a connection. And then you say, and they see it from your life, 
And then you, when you have a connection, then you can share. And that's the difference where Westerns, they want to get straight hit, hitting the gospel, hit you up straight away before you even know your name, you know? They go, it's just, and that's cool. It's just different cultures. We want to know a person before you start sharing personal and deep things about it. Can you help us understand the difference in cultural mindset and, for example, Westerners, how, how can we be better at that? Um, well, I think Jesus set the pattern when he sits with the woman of the well and talks to her about her, her life. Just chat. And then he says, look, let me tell you about this, this living water. So he, he sat, he engaged, even though he shouldn't have, culturally, but he wanted to love her and he said, look, and he knew her all, all about her, but he sat in that again and yarn. And then he talks about the living water, where often I see in the Western culture they don't want to talk about. Talking about lives are messy. And people go, I don't want to know about your life. I've got no time for your troubles. I've got my own troubles, you know. <laughs> and, and Western people often see that. They keep their shirts tight and their buttons tight and they don't want to talk about nothing. But with Aboriginal people, we, we talk about life. We talk about our, hard, our heartaches, our struggles. If fellas try to commit suicide, he'll tell you, bro, he's not going to hide nothing. That's the, that's the beauty of Aboriginal people. We, what you see is what you get. We're not try, trying to portray ourselves in any way. If you're not all right with the Lord, a brother won't pick up, he won't pick up that guitar. Bro, you're playing? No, no, I'm not all right with the Lord today, bro. Sweet. Why? Because I know when you walk with the Lord, you've got to be real and you've got to be serious and, and, and faithful to God. And when you stumble and you, and you fall a bit and you, your eyes are off the Lord a bit, you know it. No one's got to tell you that. Mm. No, I've just got to get sorted, bro. All right, no worries. So we're in the Western Church. You know what people do after time beyond their doors. Mm. You know, also the, the church miracle you've talked about, Stu, how like everyone can be fighting in the car and then you just turn up and like yeah. everyone's happy and smiling. So it's just a different world, a different cultural mm-hmm. expression. If you're fighting with your missus, you'll still fight with her at church. <laughs> you, you, you know, you're yeah. not going to oh, wait till we get out and we'll fight again, you know, or... <laughs> If you're going to yell at the kids, you'll yell at them, you know. We're not going to hide it and go, oh, I'll take it home. You say, because wait till you get home, I'm going to flog you. And you go, no, you'll hit them right there. And then if they're mucking up, get in. And, then, and that's why you see people fighting on the street sometimes, black fellas, they're not going to be hiding in, in the bushes. They'll just hit each other right there and then. <laughs> you go to certain yeah. parks, all over Australia, you'll find black fellas fighting in parks because they're just uh, um, struggling with life's mm. issues and they turn to the whatever, drugs and alcohol, and they'll do it in the park, they'll do it on the streets. Where often Western people will go and hide and change, close the door before, before they fight, you know? Or before they start drinking. They just go yeah, home, just they, they get their bottle O and take their stuff home and then they, they drink at home. Yeah, and you're yeah. saying like, maybe Westerners hide behind, you know, those sorts of things rather than doing stuff out. And well, I'm saying mm, we're a very expressive culture. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's why suicide is a high rate yeah, in our yeah. community and... And we have the highest rate in the world of suicide in our youth. Um, yeah, wow. It's just ridiculous. And, and the difference is uh, our young people, with all the issues they have to try to deal with in their lives and, and social issues and personal issues, um, the thing I've seen is our, our young ones, we just go and do it. Where often in a Western context, they'll, they'll spend time planning it. Not always, but mm. we're responsive uh, culture, we're reactionary culture, mm. we just do it. Mm. Um, not saying it's right or wrong, all I'm saying is that's how a lot of our young people do it and that's why we have a high rate of suicide in our, in our yeah. community, in our mm. youth. So if they think it, they oh, just Oh, now the culture in the world, you know? Yeah. And it's just sad yeah. that our young people feel 
so broken and, and at that time, at that instance. Mm. I've, seen, I've seen young fellas with the world at their feet still kill themselves because at that right instance, he's just hit the bottom and yeah. bang. And um, I've done too many funerals for young people who I thought were the, had so much potential and they had thi- things coming in their lives, amazing leaders, um, role models, but they hit the hit the bottom and bang. And um, it's just an issue we're trying to deal with all over Australia. Suicide is just an issue in our communities, remote communities, urban communities. There's a lot of young ones are struggling with their identity and and their value. What are your thoughts on that in terms of like another thing we uh, talking about progress again? Right? What are your thoughts on in terms of that? Like, how do we how do we how are we able to help um, those people that are, are really struggling with such things like suicide? Yeah, it's well, you know you look in the farmers and there's high rate of suicide in the farmers. Yeah. It's just the brokenness of society and the brokenness of people, and and, the, and they get to a point where there's no there's no other solution, and um. It saddens me out because I, I see too many young ones and they're our future. That's a sad bit, you know, like, and they're all precious, they're all beautiful, all, every one of them. And it's just that our communities are struggling to embrace them and have a safety net for them. So with our cultural breakdown and our community breakdown and family breakdowns, before there was a net for our kids you know, back in the day, uh, you know, uh, our communities were knit and tight and, and someone was struggling, there was a always someone there but we don't have that these days our, our communities are that, that bro- broken and fragmented we struggle to keep anything straight and so our kids slip through the cracks all the time because there isn't a, a safety net and the government's trying to address it but it will never come from a government because they, they can't programs can't solve a broken heart and they can't solve a, a feeling of um, low self-esteem low socioeconomical issues uh, broken families stolen generation you can't solve that with money. You can't solve it with a program. It's just got to be our community has to be rebuilt up again to have our, our networks catching these young ones, which we don't have because mm-hmm. of um, all the past. I'm not blaming them. All I'm saying is we've lost the network we used to have to save our kids and to keep them safe, you know, and protected. And even same with funerals, everything. Our sorry business, all those things have all been affected by colonisation. I'm not blaming them, all I'm saying is we've never had anything to replace it with. So a man's role was always clear. We don't have a man's role now because it's been broken down. So what is Aboriginal man? We're still trying to clarify that for our young fellas to know. What is a man? A lot of lads think going to prison makes you a man, you know? And um, it's a sad... Mm. <laughs> when the young fellas think, oh, I've done my time, I've done this and that. Now they're little men. That's not our culture. But that's what it's, it's filled in a hole, a gap that they just think, oh, well, I just need to be a man and do a f- f- bit of time. And mm. so we, we're way beyond the April, and April, that's where church comes in because the church really set a, a pattern for our communities back in the day, especially in, in, in Australia, not for our people, but and I believe the church can rebuild our safety nets in our community. That's, my, that's what I dream about, you know. that that our kids can know there is a place to go to get a feed, a place to go when there's violence around. So yeah, our missions, our Aboriginal missions, nearly every mission you go to, I would swear that there's an old auntie on that mission who always feeds the kids. 
So when everyone's drinking and carrying on in different places, there's always a house, a safe house, and the kids will go there for a feed, and they know they can sleep there for the night. And when the wind settles the next day, they'll come back home. And, and it's a beautiful thing. It shouldn't be that way, but um, it is. Our women, our aunties, they're the ones who saved our people. They're the ones who stepped up when all the violence and all the stuff's been going on silly. And they're the ones who kept our kids safe. Yes, we have a high rate of abuse in our kids and um, one in three girls are assaulted, you know. We have a high rate of abuse amongst our girls and boys. Um, brokenness, um, sin. But I'm hoping, sounds like it's impossible to change, but I believe that God in his wisdom and his strength and power, he can rebuild our little Aboriginal churches. You know, they're only mm. few and far between. Um, you go from here, Sydney, there's only like two or three Aboriginal churches between here and Eden. You know? And we've got the biggest mob around there. We've got 50,000 Aboriginal people here in Sydney. There's not many Aboriginal churches. And I'm the only one Aboriginal person employed in the Sydney Diocese as a pastor amongst 50,000 people. And I can't do that. I can't, <laughs> I can't solve that. Yeah. But um, I'll do what I can in my little patch. What I'm saying is... Though it might seem impossible, all things are possible with God and, and I see that he will sustain his people, mm-hmm. Uncle Ike in them. He's a hard servant, he just faithfully serves. You know, on paper it might, look, might not look really flash and really great, but I guarantee you that people will be knocking on his door when they need him. The kids will know where they can go to get some food or when they need safety. Uh, my job isn't, you know, from eight to five, I get doors and knocks on the door and, and that you just respond to whatever's happening in, in your community because that's what you're there for. You're a, you're a servant and, and you're open 24-7 like um, 7-Eleven and, uh, <laughs> and you just respond to whatever you can do, you know, yeah. on, on the time at the moment. And, and if you can help one person through that day, as far as I'm concerned, you're done well, you know. I've been told, you know, from the diocese that our ministry's not that great. It's not doing really well, you know, in regards to... Numbers and that. Uh, we don't care about numbers. We don't care about the income that we raise, which is nothing. <laughs> it doesn't phase us. All we want to do is make sure that the, the one person God brings across our path, that we'll minister to them at that time in whatever shape or form that is. And as far as I'm concerned, that's success. That's, that's my approach mm. to ministry. Yeah, I feel like there's... Um you know, you've talked a lot about the the pain and the anguish and everything that your people have experienced, but then there's also a real positive side to what yes. you're talking about, what Jesus has done for us, and I find that super encouraging. Stu, um, I'm just wondering if you've got anything to add what Michael's saying. Yeah, I, I think I think that um, if Jesus meets us all personally Himself, like then we should mm-hmm. be doing that with other people, shouldn't we? And I think yes. I think that uh, sometimes Westerners can get caught up in programs and look at statistics and KPIs and, you know, how much money's coming in and how much, you know, does this cost and what... what Return all, on what investment. All, all those kind sorts of, of things, thing, yeah. yeah. And I think getting to the point of coming back to just meeting people where they're at and loving them where yeah. they are and it's amazing how so much more falls into place when you put yes. the kingdom of heaven first and then you put other people uh, in, their, in their right places made in the image of God and precious and... Uh, yeah, I think local church also excites me that when I listen to you talk about local church, Michael, that's like 
you know, with all the government programs and even church programs that are around, you know, um, you know, they're, they're, there's all that stuff around. But for, there's something all of us can do in the local church. We can all love yeah. that person. We can all, you know, listen that it's maybe not the best thing to rush up to someone and ask them lots of questions. You know, maybe just be okay with quiet silence and listen and put that other person first and embrace someone who's different rather than always looking for people who are the same. Uh, I think I think you're right. I think our churches have become quite clicky and we can sometimes uh, focus in on what are the issues that are facing the people within the local church rather than looking outside of the local church and mm. thinking about the community in general. And uh, being outward looking like that is a really, really beautiful thing, like going for a walk in the park outside the church and seeing who's there and just sit down on the bench and talk to them. I mean... Um, my wife and I went out to uh, have lunch the other day down down at Thrall, Ostermere actually, and we just went into a place where down at Ostermere, and this older couple came in, and there was they're in the eighties, and you know they, the lady was in a wheelchair, and the gentleman you know uh, had reserved a table by the window, which was in front of where we were sitting, and he didn't just go and sit down and think of himself. He turned around and he said, "Oh, I just want to say sorry that we've blocked your view. Now you can't see the view." And I said, "Oh, that's fine. You know, that's your table." But I said to my wife, oh, that, I wonder if that gentleman's a Christian because he wasn't just thinking of himself yeah. coming and sitting and eating his meal. He looked over and went, oh, there's another couple there that maybe can't see past the view now. And Anyway, um, I would just watch them as they were interacting. It was really beautiful because his wife had a bit of Alzheimer's and maybe she was forgetting a few things and he was just beautiful, loving her. And, and uh, he said, oh, thank you for not being worried about us sitting here because it's our 64th wedding anniversary. And, you know, at one level I could have thought, oh, just a couple of people just went and sat down and had lunch. But he noticed us and because he noticed us, I found myself noticing mm. him. And he said, you know, it's our 64th wedding anniversary. And so we went and talked to them and had a really lovely time of fellowship and turned out they were Christians and that they were, that, that older gentleman, they were being married for 64 years. And he told us their story and he, he told us about how they met when she was 16 and he was 18 and he was a seafarer and he was coming and going. And when he met her, he met her on the day he met her, he asked her to marry him. <laughs> he said, I don't think I'm going to find a more beautiful woman. So, yeah. And she said, yes. But then they weren't allowed to marry because she was 16 and he had to wait two years. So he was coming and going from the port, being on his ships that he was a merchant and he came back and Anyway, he's telling us this all this story, and it was such a rich experience to yeah. listen to his story. And if we, if he hadn't turned around and said, "Hey, are you okay that we're sitting here?" We wouldn't have had that interaction. It would have just been people come and go. But to slow things down and to listen, and anyway, he ended up blessing us because it turns out they were Christians, and he was actually a chaplain to the seafarers. And he, he said to us that he met Jesus when he was forty years old, and then he decided to stop going to sea and he started ministering to the people who went to sea. And he said that the the, the people who were on the boats were very lonely and often not seen by society yeah. because they lived on the ocean, not on the land. And so people who live on the ocean don't really factor in on people's awareness. And so he said, I knew their life and I wanted to make sure that we recognised them. And they used to call me their angel. And yeah. even though they many of them came from different parts of the world, I would just minister to them. And anyway, all this happened because this gentleman just stopped and said, you know, I, I hope we're not getting in the way of your view. And when you were talking about taking your son down to the park, I'm like, that's really basic Christianity, isn't it? To yeah. to recognise another human being like he recognised us and said, it's look, lovely. I can see that you're not seeing the view. I want to recognise that, that it's your loss for our gain. And I just want to say thank you for appreciating that. So Lou and I... Uh, ordered them a drink and just um to bless them and and he was so touched he said thank you for 
sharing in our celebration because oh, um, my daughter would usually come and be with us on our wedding anniversary, but she's not able to be here today because she's working. And um, he, he said that um, you were, it was nice that God brought some of our family to be here to be a part of the day with us because we're Christian brothers and sisters and, and it's real. It, yeah. We are really a family. And so the things we're talking about today are really powerful and I think can make a big difference in people's lives. So I, I love listening to your perspective, Michael. And, and I think, I think that there are, there are uh, negative things that we need to keep talking about from Westerners too, because just as we've talked about some of the challenges that Aboriginal communities face too, there's a lot of challenges that Western communities face as well. And yeah, yeah. I think we can, we can humbly walk together and share our problems with each other instead of just sharing, you know, pleasant, you know, chit-chat, I think, getting to know each other. Yeah. And I think the other thing that you've taught me is that it's about doing it long-term too, not just yeah. for a little while. Like, it's not like a program that lasts a year in someone's life. It's like abiding presence where, yes, yes. where we spend time to get to know each other. and um, church for an hour either. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that long-term, low-key relational yeah. ministry that uh, we've learned a lot from Aboriginal Christian mm. communities uh, to encourage you. We've noticed that you've slowed down and made people... Uh, important and yes. we've we've tried to uh, slow down in our western church here in Sydney uh, and have a meal together each week and yes. do things like that that you know it means that yeah there's some other things that we probably miss out on doing because we're spending a bit more time that particular day at church but what we gain from a story or hearing someone's yes. testimony was a funny thing about this gentleman that I was talking about he he said uh, Merle's mum and dad didn't like him because they were scared of this, you know, yeah, yeah. seafarer, you know, and, yeah. and and also interestingly, he said, um, I had a really hard start because he said I actually had uh, an Aboriginal grandfather, and of all the children, I was more Aboriginal than all the other children in my family. And back when I was growing up, this probably would have been the 40s and 50s. Yeah. Uh, he said my mum and dad were embarrassed about me, so they were very cruel to me, but they were very lovely to the to, yeah. to, to their kids who are whiter. Yeah. They were they were more lovely, and but they were racist to their own son because they were embarrassed of him because he was darker, and so he said, as a young boy, I ran away from home, and I went to a boy's home, and then when I was in the boy's home, that was better than my own family. They were nicer to me there, even though that was a very harsh place. Yeah, yeah. And he said, I had to get out of there too because they were so cruel, and that's why I went to sea. And he said, when I met Merle, uh, her parents were racist towards me because they because I had darker skin than they did. But, and they said, oh, you're getting, you can't get married until you're, she's 18. So we waited and they waited two years and then she was 18 and they, he said, we got married when they couldn't stop us. And he said, <laughs> but they said it had never last. And he said, I threw up a little prayer today to ask the Lord to go and, if they're, the, if they're in heaven, to go and tell them we're still married 64 <laughs> years later. And I said to Lou, and I, I was just so warmed by the story. And I thought, that's interesting. That was just Monday we heard that story. Yeah. And today oh. we're here talking about it. And, but to, I'm not embarrassed to say that as I was watching him buy a cake and a cappuccino for his wife, and they were just having this bounty of great lunch celebrating <laughs> their anniversary, I just started crying. And, and I said, well, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm, and then she started crying. And Lou and I are sitting at another table away from them. So they didn't see us. But... We're just bawling our eyes out and crying because it was so lovely. And yeah. and then I said to to him, I said, I oh, thank you for blessing us. And he said, you know what I've learned in all my years of being a seafarer chaplain? He said, it's not about your title. It's not about 
how much how big your ministry is it's about loving each person that comes into your life and treating them as a human being and loving them and he said he said i know because i told him i was an anglican minister too and he said i know you're an anglican minister but i want to remind you don't forget to love people don't don't just run a program in your church and that was interesting when you're saying the same thing today and you've got to love people and i was thinking how how that was just a serendipitous surprising thing that happened but i think god was intending for me and my wife lou to meet that couple on monday because they taught us about being a married couple that you know and i was watching him love and serve his wife and he said to me i've been a carer for my wife for 20 years because she's not been very well for 20 years he said but she's the most beautiful woman i've ever seen and and he said i know you won't believe it but when she was younger she was even more beautiful than she is now and i was just like there's the love of jesus just coming out of this man and it was just this chance well, what seemed to be a chance, you know, him just turning around saying, sorry, I'm sitting in front of your view. And I thought that's a kind thing for someone to say. So being kind and loving and then stopping. And we spent probably an hour with them that we didn't even expect to. And it was such a short amount of time really, but it's really impacted me. And I don't think I'll ever forget that day. And isn't that kind of what we want to do? Hey, like just help people to remember that we love them and, he ended up serving us even though we shouted them a drink and yeah. and um, that was a really nice day. So I don't know if that's relevant really to what we're talking about, but mm-hmm. I, th- I think to me it, it's been helpful again to have that reinforced in me uh, from what you said, Michael, about people are really yeah. important to Jesus. And um, yeah, the racism he suffered from his own parents and because he, he was, he had a bit, you know, I, I think, and I, I said, how do, you, how do you feel about that now? He said, I'm really proud to be an Aboriginal man. And I said, that's beautiful. Isn't that wonderful? And he said, yeah, I am. And Merle helped me to be proud of be who I am. And she loved me for who I am. And she was really proud of me that I was an Aboriginal man. And, um, yeah, I think, I think if we have a good look at ourselves today, there is still racism in the church. And I think that we need to talk about it. And, you know, we talked about on the podcast last week that this artist Kendrick Lamar in America was talking about the Black Lives Matter and all the things they're trying to do. But um, I'm really excited to hear the thoughts that you have today because the the answers in Jesus are really tactile and tangible and real. So thanks, Michael. That was really helpful. Yeah, that's cool. I was going to ask you one more question, Michael, before we finish. Um, We we talked about so many different issues. As Stu's name, some of them, we talked about um, reconciliation, Black Lives Matter, um, cultural mindset, being custodians of the land, Mm. um, regardless of who we are. Um, there's the de- deaths in custody is another thing, but then Stu reminded me that something that you said is that we need to walk side by side. Mm. Um, I would just love you to probably wrap it up for us by saying, or th- giving us your thoughts about what do Australians in the church need to be thinking about now during this time, and how can we walk side by side? Um. It's, it's, a, it's a big question, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, I think the key, and I'm no expert on this. I'm just trying to find my way too. But I, I think the key is education has its place. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's what we do with education. So it's having the here yeah, we have knowledge, but without love, it's nothing. Um, so I think the key for for churches um, is they don't. They don't have to do acknowledgement of country at the church. They don't have to have a plaque. They don't have to do anything. They have to have an Aboriginal flag at the church. If they choose to, great. I, I'm happy for that. 
uh, because it's a it's a signpost for Aboriginal people. So oh, these files must have some recognition of Aboriginal people because they've got a flag there, or they've got whatever, and, and that warms a person's heart to think that, that there's something there. That when Aboriginal people see something of of our heritage, uh, it warms you a little bit to the place, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's just a symbol, um, and, that, and that's good. But I think the the key is just the the heart of a person and the, and their mindset, because some people will never ever give a hoot about Aboriginal people. They think, look, it's in the past. Let's just get over it and move on, you know. Uh, and that's fair enough. And if people are like that's all right, no dramas. The same as I said to them that the Anzacs, that was history, let's just forget it and move on. I guarantee you that I'd get a lot of backlash. Mm-hmm. Because how dare you talk about the Anzacs like that, you know? And I would never say about the Anzacs because we've got a lot of people who wear Anzacs. Yeah. But what I do say is that it's, it's where you're at in your own heart and your own mind in regards to black people. Uh, uh, let me clarify. I'm talking about black people, I'm talking about Aboriginal people in this context because we've got a lot of different coloured groups here. In this country, you know, all different colours, <laughs> shapes, and sizes, and that's beautiful. But when you go to Aboriginal people, we're not a multicultural group because this is we come from this land. Mm-hmm. Everybody else on the land is multicultural. So all, you know, all these Englishmen and all those fellows of Britain, whoever, they're all multicultural to us because they they come to our land. I don't know if you thought about that. So mm-hmm. these are all foreigners. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's bizarre, but um, it's just having a respect in your heart and mind. Um, not to you know, have to give nothing to Aboriginal people. It's just having a, a healthy recognition. Of, look, you know what? They're the, the most disadvantaged group in this whole country. They've been through hell and back. And, and the strength of our people is amazing. The resilience of Aboriginal people, anywhere you get in this country, our people are resilient and they're tough and they're hard. And that's why when you bring the gospel to them, they're hardened people because they've had to be hard to survive. Not because they want it, it's just it's the nature of this country it's hard country it's hard ground and, and a gum will only grow strong in hard ground and it'll be harder than the gums here because there's less water in the in the, mm. in the bush so they're gonna be hard and that's why the hardwood grows out in the bush there because it's less water and, and sometimes the hardwood's the best wood when it comes to ceremonies and that and our gums here are softer softer timber because there's more water available um so it's just a matter of acknowledging um uh, recognising it, but also just having a respectful attitude, and and also having having it um, an open discussion. Like I said, so how you talk about them in your family, and when you see, you know, all these different pictures of Aboriginal people, often negative. Um, it's just trying to educate our children, and and educate our children the same about what they see when they see a police car. Most Aboriginal people will drive the other way, because uh, I tell my daughter. When she got a license, don't ever pull over for a police car and they pull the lights on you. Wait mm. till you get to a public area. Why is that? Because the police, I'm not saying negative stuff, but the reality is, for Aboriginal people, the police have, have real issues with a lot of our people. And there's some great coppers out there, don't get me wrong. But often the experience is Aboriginal people will get pulled over more often than anybody else. Um, there's a lot more um, negative things done to our kids, our teenagers. So I tell my daughter, when a cop puts his lights on, you drive to the nearest place where it's public. Mm. Especially at night time. Never pull over in the dark with a copper. Drive where there's lights and there's someone lit up. Should I? Should That's ridiculous. I'll tell my son when he's got the same thing. Never pull over with a copper. Drive somewhere public so they can't hurt you and do you wrong. 
It's ridiculous you have to do that where the coppers are there. So what I'm saying is that's just awareness um, and, a, and a respect and how you talk about in your own backyard about our people will change how the next generation views our people, if that makes sense. So, yeah. And that's, a, that's the church in general, that's the community in general. Everything's all public discussion and comments and, um, you know, when I see the, the hundreds and hundreds of Aboriginal people dying in custody with nobody held accountable, it hurts. So my own family have been murdered in, in prisons and, and detention centres. No one gives a hoot. No one's held accountable. So no one of Aboriginal people get a bit hurt and angry and, and when the copper comes, they're angry at them, you know, and they come to do often negative things, you know. And we try to teach the young coppers, that is a way to, respectful way to approach our people. I've seen it too many times. I've had them pull up, I've been in the paddy wagon, I've experienced the, the love of the police police have <laughs> 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 all I'm saying is um, our churches can be you know, a key role in that you know in, in praying for change uh, looking, praying for justice that every people can get justice in this country that our children will be um, cared about we've got children who are, who are killed and, and there's nothing there's no publicity there's no anything in our little towns Black people could be killed, no worries. But if you've got blonde hair and that, you go on the front page. And that's a reality for our kids. Our kids never get publicity. Our kids very rarely get justice. That's just a, a, our life. Shouldn't be that way. So I'm just trying to say that, yeah, justice will come when the Lord returns. That's only true justice. But we trust that God will bring justice in his home, you know, where our kids can be safe. Our kids can have justice and our institutions and our prisons and all that sort of stuff. But it starts off with a prayer. Our old people have been praying for years, our old aunties. If I can say one thing for our churches, be prayerful. It costs them nothing. Let's have a prayer that this country may be treated, treat our people properly. You know, not because they have to, not because they're forced to, and nor should a church be forced to do anything. But to pray... It's a beautiful thing, yeah. and to um, when you meet an average person, like you said, brother, just love them. Because Jesus changes our hearts, right? That's right. We, we just—I don't care who you run into. You just treat them as your, your neighbour, sort of thing, yep. and just um, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, it's not rocket science. It's just to say, look, right this minute, I'm going to pause. Mm. Just. Listen to somebody else's story. Mm. See yeah. how God wants to want me to bless them. I mean, I'm always reminded of something that she said of a lot earlier in the Shockers Orba episode or Shockers Orba season was we're not just reconciled to God through Jesus, we're reconciled to each other. Yes. And that's, yeah, and that's why I really hear what you're saying. Something that's interesting about that, Michael, about the, the, the issue with police, I, I definitely take on what you say that there's some good cops out there and doing their jobs and that but one day uh, I was experienced a similar thing that you're talking about that I was camping with some Aboriginal friends on the Barwon River out um, in Brewarrina and um, we were camping with our Aboriginal friends me and Braddo so Braddo and his family and me and my family and and some of some of our Aboriginal friends there and um, in the middle of the night a police car came along the other side of the Barwon River and put out their searchlight on our tents and it sounded like the person in the car had been drinking and, and yelled out on the microphone of the car, get out of your tents and said a, a racist word. 
um, get out of your tents. And so Brado and I got out of our tents and we just went, what are you doing? And the searchlight went over us and the person in the car could see we were white people and then drove off, sped off. And I said to my Aboriginal brother, oh, you didn't get out of the tent. He goes, yeah, I didn't want to get shot, eh? And I'm like, I just experienced that. And mm. and I, I said to my Aboriginal brothers the next day, like, oh, maybe we should go down to the police station and report that and, you know, find out what's going on with that. And they said, oh, you might just want to leave that with us, brother. Like, And it was just, yeah, it was just really visceral and really scary and really sad. And like you said, there are cops that are doing a great job, but there, that was, that was something that... Um, yeah, I, I experienced as I was sharing that camping trip and that was only in the early 2000s that I experienced that. And um, I think that there's a lot of, lot of like you said, if, if churches are just little cliques of people who are just caring about what's happening in their church and not thinking about some mm. other people and other issues. I mean, we've talked about a, an issue in, in previous podcasts called the homogeneous unit principle, which says that let's get group that are all like each other to meet together in churches together you get a whole heap of city churches and they all just hang out together in city churches and and they don't get to be friends with with aboriginal churches mm. and I, i'm thinking what's really cool about our friendship is we're not only friends but we're bringing our churches together too so that yeah. our churches can be from friends and and if a local church can make a difference then two local churches can make a bit more of a difference and three and four yeah. and five and six so I, I really love your vision for for that relational reality to grow and for our churches to become more and more safe places and to talk about problems we have in our church and talk about racism in our church and talk about those issues that we need to get a good heart and and actually think about changing our heart towards other people and that's a really christian way of thinking about the issue because it starts with us and how do we make a difference but not just care about ourselves but care about other people and so yeah yeah, it's really meant a lot to me today to hear Mm. hear your thoughts on that so thank you brother it's really really powerful on our little journey yeah. People are like storylines, songlines, and if we can be a part of someone else's songline in their life, then that's cool, you know? Even for a little bit, or for a long journey may be, it's just investing your heart into somebody else's heart for that time, for whatever the journey takes, you know? And, um, mm. and that, that's in a nutshell. Yeah. Being willing. I think um, I just really appreciate you being on, man. Thanks. Oh, so I appreciate much. the opportunity. It's just, um, I really, ex- I really appreciate your wisdom and faith, and you're being really encouraging. So thank you very much. No worries. Um, we like to finish up the shogwazor with a one way. Do you know what a one way is? Have you ever done that before? Nah, we we we've just uh, adapted something from the seventies. <laughs> from in the seventies, young people used to live in a culture where everyone were hippies, and so all the hippies used to go peace peace out all the time oh, yeah. and the young christians thought they'd adapt that a bit to just be one way instead of peace and they used to flash it the american teenagers used to do this yeah. and they used to instead of flashing a peace sign which all the kids used to do all the time they used to go one way meaning jesus is the only way and it reminded them that there is only one way and as jesus says in john 14 i am the way the truth and the life no one goes to the father except by me so if you're happy to jump in with that one what we finish the podcast with is instead of flashing a peace sign we Flash a one we way. Just, so. We just say one way. Sorry, that. I agree so if you want to jump in with that, with us, first, that's oh, I appreciate all. it. I like it. Anyway, well, um, thanks everyone for listening. Um, and again, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Right, pleasure. Thank you, Stu, as well. And we'll finish thanks, it. Thanks, so. all. One, one way. way. One way.